0: So we scuffled for a little while Whittled down with tears Pain a rain that washed away the change We were once lovers Now we're with others Sometimes I wonder Doing how you are, there's a gallery inside, small museum in my heart. I go there sometimes when I'm feeling nostalgic, just to reacquaint and re remember. We were once lovers, now we're with Sometimes I wonder If you ever think of me at all Though many faces are better forgotten Yours is one that's been set aside The years make it all seem so petty Funny how time makes it all so tender and wave hello Just pretend that I did not stick with the picture in my small small museum We were once lovers Now we're with others Sometimes I've wondered you're doing how you are. We were once lovers, lovers. Now we're with others, others. Sometimes I wonder if you ever think of me.
1: Well, Welcome to this week's edition of the Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. I'm your host, Todd, middle initial C Walker. Yes, that's right, it is me. And we have been listening to the song Small Museum by an old time friend of mine named Damien Wolf. And let me read his brief bio from his website, which is DamienWolf.com. Damien Wolf is a distinctive songwriter and performer having released several albums and toured nationally. He's opened for such acts as REO Speedwagon, Amos Lee, and Tim Reynolds. He is the co-author of Yanni with national recording artist Keller Williams and On Beach Time with Nashville recording artist Lori Kelly. His talents have been recognized by the Maryland State Congress, Not Magazine, and the Washington Area Museum, excuse me, Music Association. And he is in his car right now. You can probably hear a little background noise as he travels. And you did hear it during the middle of that song, only because his the, our line was open. And I'm so happy to have him on the phone right now. Hi, Damien.
2: Uh, thanks, for, thanks for going with it, Todd. I appreciate it. Thanks for
1: having me. Oh, you're welcome. Where are you headed to?
2: You know, I'm just doing a, you know, I've been doing a little series of, uh, I guess, sort of like uh, brief walkabouts, you know, I just get out of town for a day or two. I'm heading into, uh, actually right now I'm in Ohio, so I'm just uh, probably going to end up somewhere in Columbus or, I don't know, somewhere that just feels right and find a place to kind of perch for a day or two and just do some writing and then head back home.
1: Now, are you finding that during this pandemic time that your walkabouts are a little more difficult?
2: Um, yeah, you know, something has just started. I've only, this is my third one in maybe like the last two months. And um, no, actually, um, well, I mean, n- not really. I think I just, you get sort of used to what's going on and you just kind of roll with it, you know? Sure. Um, so it's it's not, I wouldn't say it's always fun, but you just kind of accept, accept what it is and in your different states, uh, obviously, there are sometimes different rules, so you have to kind of go with that. But it's, it's not a huge deal.
1: Well, traveling for you was actually um, pretty normal back in the day when you were touring Songwriter.
2: Yeah, that's right. That's right.
1: Because as it says in your bio, you toured nationally. And I do remember when Facebook first popped up, and I was on it all the, all the time. I'm not on it that much anymore. but and you were one of my friends on facebook which hopefully i think you still are but i'm not i can't remember the i i would get these you know things would pop up Damien wolf at such and such tavern or such and such you know winery or whatever and it would be all all the way across the nation so you toured (laughs) you toured for many years didn't you
2: i did i um it was sort of a hodgepodge, of and it's kind of a blur now when i think about it but um there was a series of years where it was more regional and then i think around maybe like oh seven uh for the next three or four years in a row i did uh cross-country touring at least one up uh, about one a year was- and uh go ahead i'm sorry
1: oh no no finish up
2: no no i was just gonna say and they were all a bit different and they kind of seemed to get longer each time i did them uh for the most part so Um, Very, uh, it it seems like not so long ago, but it was long ago now, I guess, but uh, very, uh, very rewarding experience, very uh, taught me a lot about being a performer and being a professional performer and uh, just a lot about myself actually too. So that was a, it was an interesting and sometimes grueling and sometimes very cool time as well. So
1: well, I do want to mention to people listening, because not everyone listening is from the Frederick, Maryland, or Greater Washington, D.C. area. We have listeners from all over the world. The um, that you were one of the first performers at the Frederick, <clears throat> excuse me, Frederick Coffee Company and Cafe in Frederick, Maryland. Um, Michelle Swan was the first one, and, and you came on board probably not too soon thereafter, and you up until when the music program stopped due to the COVID situation, you had been performing yearly and sometimes multiple times a year at that venue. So you've been doing this for a long time. That's how I've known you. Although I don't think I've ever had a conversation with you in person for longer than three minutes. So this is going to be fun for me. (laughs) I hope so. Now, when you were touring like that regionally and nationally, was that because your goal was to be become, and I don't want to say become more famous, but you know what I mean by that?
2: Yeah, sure. Well, I think it was, it was back, <laughs> um, one of my sh- many shortcomings is that I've never had never really been good at long-term planning. Um, I would just kind of go what it was what instinctively I thought was right in the moment or in a short-term period and, uh, and not, not always to my favor, sometimes to my favor, sometimes a mixed bag, but um, it was it was a period where I had a few releases out uh, uh, over a period of a few years. So I was touring to promote those, just trying to get in all grassroots, of course. Um, so, oh, and I did have a digital distribution deal for a while with a company out of Baltimore. But um, around the time that music started to become more um, prevailing online, so, this is back in the day where you could tour and still sell a lot of fair amount of CDs out of the back of your car, but also uh, the time where people were downloading music, more, more so than streaming nowadays. So um, there were still kind of both worlds to kind of explore. And um, so I don't know, if, I think probably when I was very young, I thought maybe, yeah oh, man, I want to be famous. But I think uh, over a period of time, that, that delusion wore off and just kind of became more about you know, what can I do more to get the music out there and try to be better, you know, I guess.
1: Well, that being said about n- not being a good planner, and I'm right there with you, I understand totally. What, or when did you decide that you were going to be a full-time or or what we say professional musician?
2: Oh, that's a good point, question. I, um, so my really short-lived, my history was, I was really a sideman for many years in other bands and I played with some very, very, very talented people. But and, you know, if I sang, it was usually just me singing harmonies or something like that. Um, and if I sang it in my own songs, it was usually them doing me a favor. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it was, you know, uh, it, it, it was a more immature time for me creatively but um, I did serve pretty decently as a sideman for a while. But then all of those groups, for whatever reasons, fell apart. And this is like very young, like early 20s. And I thought to myself, well, you know, if I don't ever try this just on my own, I kind of was in this rut of depending on other people. I said, let me try it on my own and see what happens. And then sort of snowballed. And I guess when I moved to Baltimore um, I in 99, I just sort of, fell into it, really, where I was full-time and started uh, just picking up the mantle. Um, In retrospect, I I would have probably wished I would have done some things differently again. You know, uh, I sort of got caught in this rut of playing bars and a lot of bars and playing a lot of covers and things like that and just really sort of wearing myself out for several years doing that. And I think not only mentally did I suffer for that but I think also my creativity suffered for that as well but again all this is in hindsight and at that time you're just trying to hustle to pay your rent and pay your bills and um, it was a lot about survival and how could I ever go back and work for somebody else again now that I'm working for myself that kind of thing so um, there's a lot of that kind of hodgepodge going on at that period
1: well, I do remember one of the Sunday Songwriter Songfests I did at the Frederick Coffee Company where you were one of the headliners, and you apologized when you got there and you said, Todd, I, I played at a bar last night, and I think I got in at 3.30 this morning, so I'm a little tired, so I can't guarantee how good the performance was, which was excellent, by the way, but oh, it was nice you. of you to tell me. But I, having played bars when I was younger, I knew exactly what you meant yeah. because there were so many days where... I saw the sun come up before I ever saw my bed. <laughs>
2: right. Right. And I, and I think depending on what kind of person you are, too, um, you respond differently to bar crowds. And I, it took me a long, long time to adjust my sensitivity to be able to deal with that kind of um, those situations, which were very mercurial. And, um, and still to this day, even sometimes it's an adjustment. I don't play nearly as much as I used to, but even to this day, if I'm playing at a winery or something, it's still got to dial in my sensitivity monitor and not take things so personally and just try to do the best job I can for the people that are there. Well, and that sounds so, so cliche to say, I know, but it really is true. It's a real, real truth to that. I think, at least for
1: me. Well, you've always been, when I've seen you perform, you've always been cognizant of the, the audience and made sure that, um, they were part of your show you were part of their their viewing if that makes any sense and sure. not every performer does that many performers get up and the crowd is supposed to pay attention to them but you join them so it's a it's a it's a it's a wonderful experience really you do a great job at it
2: thank you thanks
1: now how did you start in music initially were you in a musical family <laughs> did your mom beat you over the head and say you're learning piano how did it go <laughs> uh,
2: um well you know growing, <laughs> not beat me over the head but there's sort of a, <laughs> a a lighter version of that story you know but the pre the preface to that is both my parents dabbled on acoustic they were old hippies you know and they dabbled on acoustic guitar and you know uh, I remember my dad would, you know, sing me to sleep with playing Puff the Magic Dragon and, you know, uh, my mom even played like she would play blowing in the wind and stuff like that. And I just remember being intrigued by she had this style of playing, which I guess was very popular back then. But she would just take her nails and just sort of kind of rake across the strings. That was sort of her playing style, which to this day I always just find fascinating for some reason. Um, But anyway, sorry, I'm getting off the point. Um, But then the basic, but... When I got older, you really realized that they weren't really that good. <laughs> Very good. It was just for fun. Mom, I didn't say that. Sorry, Dad. Um, but um, but no, I think um, I made this sort of mistake. I put that in quotes. When I was in fourth grade, uh, everybody had to learn how to play the recorder, and I remember that um, you, you didn't have a choice or a way to opt out. Everybody was forced to. And I remember I had to take that recorder test like three times before I passed (laughs) because, and I was literally the worst one in the, in the class. And, um, but I, I kind of enjoyed it, I guess, at the time, because I think I said to my mother, Hey, I'd like to play the flute when I get older, it could be in band. And, you know, that was two years in the future and two years came along and I was, that was the farthest thing from my mind. And my mother sort of, uh, kind of coerced me (laughs) forcibly into playing the flute and being in the band. And then it sort of became a trade-off where if you stick with the flute, then we'll let you play guitar, and it sort of kind of snowballed from there. So I did stick with the flute throughout uh, all of high school and band and marching band and that stuff. But I was never really very good at it, and never really very passionate about it. But I was very passionate about playing guitar and, and music in general. Yeah, music theory, music in general.
1: Now, do you still play the flute?
2: <laughs> Oddly enough, a few Christmases ago, mom we, uh, she found my old flute uh, and she had it uh, repaired, the dents knocked out, everything, and she sort of regifted it to me, which was really cool. But I picked it up a couple of times, and you have to have an embouchure to be able to really get a tone out of it, and my embouchure was just totally gone. And it would take it would take a lot of practicing to get back to anything sub subpar, you know, for me. So.
1: so in those early days of trading off between the flute and guitar, what were you playing? Right. What's what's what style of music were you writing your own songs at that point point? what were you doing?
2: I, I would occasionally dab and write in writing my own songs. I started off playing uh, acoustic guitar. My dad had this old Yamaha with a warp neck and the and the action was like almost an inch off of the fretboard. And I started off on that guitar so I kind of learn the hard way and then I got into electric guitar and but I was um, I was really into things like uh, as I got older in, in high school I was really like into jazz fusion and, and Santana and um, these kind of things that weren't very popular to be into at that time and jazz and things like that but I, I could hardly you know I, I couldn't really play those very well or if at all and I did play in jazz bands, so I, I did know know some jazz chords and things like that. But um, I was into that, and then I did listen, I taught myself to sing harmonies by listening to like a lot of Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, especially that Four Way Street album. Uh, I would just listen to that over and over on the headphones and just pick out the harmonies and try to just learn how to sing harmony. And, uh, and then also uh, being in church, uh, growing up Catholic, uh, we had a really great folk mass when I got a little bit older, and I just kind of uh, learned how to accompany uh, the singers and the organist and the piano player uh, a lot playing guitar as well. So it was kind of a combination of things, but um, it really wasn't until I got to be a little bit older that I really developed a much wider a palette for music and understanding and appreciation of all sorts of music. So,
1: Now, you mentioned that you were a sideman for many years. Did that begin yeah. right about that time, or when did that kind of enter into your being?
2: Um, being the sideman thing was like, um, I, I, guess, I guess that's just how it started off. Like, I would still occasionally pick up the guitar and, and sing along uh, and sing my own things, but I couldn't find a lot of people that were interested in doing that. And when I did, it was very short-lived. So um, I just ended up in bands where I was playing with some, like, like I said before, some really talented people. And just I sometimes I would help with the writing, but I was uh, really kind of into a, a big electric guitar phase at that time. So that was really my main obsession, I guess, at that time.
1: Now was that rock and roll, or was it a combination of rock and roll, fusion, jazz?
2: It was. It was kind of rock, uh, rockish. Um, with a little bit of fusion in there, and when I say fusion, I'm not talking like nothing complicated like Mahavishnu or Return to Forever, but just more simpler sort of things where you could, you could uh, play a cool groove and maybe have a couple turnarounds, but you never had to leave the key you were in, so it was safe, you know.
1: <laughs> well, the photo, the main photo, the header photo on your website, DamianWolf.com, has you thumbing a ride along a it's not a highway. It's what we call a rural highway or a back road in today's world, with a Chevy Impala um, or Biscayne <laughs> in the background, with a truck right next right. to your thumb, and the sign says Ashland. There's no D. I'm assuming it's Ashland, Virginia, but I don't know that.
2: That's right. That's that's
1: where I grew up. Right? Is, is it okay? Yeah. Now, at that period in time, and your hair is at least shoulder length, and you're carrying what appears to be, well, it could be an electric guitar case, or it could be an, a, a, an acoustic guitar case. It's a little tough to tell in the photo.
2: Oh, it's, <laughs> it's my old Aria Pro that I had. That uh, was the first electric guitar. And um, that that shot was not my idea. Uh, the photographer is a guy by the name of Greg Hoyt. He was uh, one of the... Uh, I guess he was a yearbook photographer at school and a very good photographer. And he was his idea. And he grabbed me with a friend and uh, we went down the road to do the shoot. And then honestly, I'd forgotten all about that photo. And somehow it stumbled into my radar when I was planning my new album, uh, which just came out. And uh, we didn't end up using it for the album. But um, I said, you know, this would be great to have on the website. So I thought it'd be fun to put up there. It's also really cool because it's from the old days of shooting in black and white film. Mm-hmm. And to me, to me, I just I don't know. There's something about the, the black and white film that I've never seen anybody really be able to capture digitally. Although there's wonderful digital black and whites, um, something about that graininess in old black and white film is just really cool to me.
1: Oh no, I totally agree. I love watching old movies from the '30s and the early '40s that are in black and white. You're right. It just has a a feel to it visually that, right. you, and you're right, you cannot reproduce it because I do a lot of Photoshop posters for music and things like that. And occasionally I will try to switch them to black and white and they just, it doesn't work. I have to alter a lot of the, the background shades and things, but it never has the same feel. You're absolutely right. Right. There's, there's no, there's, there's not the same texture. It's sort of yeah, like, exactly. it's sort of like digital music versus analog there. There's a certain <laughs> texture to analog that, um, although there's plenty of, of, and you would know this better than I, because you work with it all the time, but it's, it's almost like digital can be too clean at times.
2: That, that There's a real truth to that. Yeah. And uh, the, the word you said too, is, is very uh, accurate descriptive. You have to be really, I mean, I guess depending on what you're going for, but, um, to me that, that personally, that, too clean, this can sometimes kill a vibe. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: it depends on what you're looking for. Now, the um, for I'm going to play a little bit of your song that uh, people will identify. People who know you locally. When I say locally, I mean in the greater D.C., Baltimore, uh, Frederick, Maryland area. This is a song that um, actually won you a fair amount of acclaim, and we'll play it so uh, everyone can hear it. <laughs>
0: days and I need a familiar face and I'm laying track and I'm heading back to a kinder place and there's a land for which I yearn one of manly deeds and a womanly words Golden sand, salt water, sweet Hey, up here comes the turn We'll catch 301 to 50 Up 97, 695 West out 7 Let's celebrate, let's make a toast To crab cakes and natty bow Obey and the Chesapeake To every boy and girl It's a state of mind, Time we got mountain speeches and we even got wine and good people we got good times it's my home it's my world it's my Maryland. how i love my Maryland. how i love my Maryland.
1: and that song got you some acclaim the state even uh took notice of that didn't they <laughs>
2: Yeah, it was, it, if I'm being honest, it was kind of a mixed bag. Some people really um, responded to it and some people didn't. Um, again, another life lesson learned about, uh, you know, expectations and, uh, and and learning not to have any. <laughs> 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 I'm constantly being reminded of that. But, yeah, it was inspired uh, one of the... Um, I used to play a gig uh, regularly on Tuesdays down at the Sly Fox in Annapolis, Maryland, when that was open. And uh, state Senator Patrick Hogan at the time just kind of came up to me one day and said, you know, why don't you just, because a lot of them would kind of congregate there on Tuesday night when session was in. So a lot of them would hang out there at the time. And anyway, Patrick Hogan asked me, he was state Senator at the time. He just asked me to, why don't you write a song about Maryland? So I just kind of did that. And, um, and it just kind of happened, but yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely a, uh, it was definitely some people really loved it and some people did not at all. Um, but you know, it, that's the way it goes, I guess, you know.
1: But it does, and the reason I wanted to play it, it, partly because it's a song about Marilyn, but mainly because it is, the sound of you in your old pers- well I say old persona but former persona not that it's not still there because that's your persona when you go to the wineries and the farm breweries and things like that but the in today's world and with your release of uh, Shiny Mad which is your six song ep that came out recently that I have on my my desk and the uh, on my computer the um, you've turned more sword to the digital world, but not specifically because of the music. You have a, a, you've transitioned from being a professional singer-songwriter to a composer. And tell me a little bit about that and how that transition happened.
2: Um, yeah, you know, I, first of all, I just, you know if I could intercede just for a second to sure. say, uh, I don't think I said this at the beginning but I really appreciate you doing this, Todd this is really very cool of you to make this opportunity available, not just to me, but I know you have a lot of artists on here. So thank you so much for the opportunity just to be able to chat about what we're doing. It's uh, again, I just very thankful for that. So
1: um, you're welcome. And it's a whole lot of fun for me.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I know you really enjoy it. You've just been, you've been such a great, centerpiece and catalyst to the whole Frederick area music scene for so many years, and um, I don't know how much appreciation you get for it, but I want you to know that I really, I've always appreciated it, and uh, yeah, it's just, I think having you there has just been really a glue to that community, even though I'm not there often, I and when I am there, it's very, always very short-lived, but I just always appreciate it in the doors you've opened up and sort of the, again, the glue you've kind of brought to that musical community up there. So thank you for that.
1: Well, thank you. So how did you Um, transition from, um,
2: okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, you know, I've had an interest in, in writing music for, um, for a film for quite a while. And, um, I was sort of uh, stuck. You know, I the, my last Cross Country Court tour I came back from in 2010 and I was just kind of felt myself burning out, you know, and I know I needed to change. So actually to my mom's credit, she said, why don't you just go ahead and look into going back to school and study film scoring. So I spent some time doing some research and not having a lot of, not having a formal musical education. Um, there weren't a lot of places that I could go get into and study that without having a bachelor degree in music or something like that but I found a school that did and I went out to uh, California for close to a year and studied and uh, just learned about the craft and was around a lot of people involved in the very very talented people involved in the craft and then when I moved back east you know I'd wanted to live in DC for a while so I just found a place in DC and I set up a little home studio and I just started uh building that studio out enough where I could start taking on projects uh, when I could and continue the educational process of how, you know, how can I be a better media composer and stuff like that. So it, it was a process that took a long time and still is going on, but, um, and that sort of led to this shiny mad album, because I think um, I, I reached this point, things had really slowed down a lot in the last couple of years with composing and not that they were ever a flurry, just the industry's changed a lot. And there's just not a lot of work out there right now. So I had some conceptual ideas I wanted to pursue. Um, and I said, you know, I should just keep going on these ideas, try to start going through this list and getting them done. And the first one was about two and a half years ago, I was experimenting with this idea of, what would it be like if you just took your cell phone's audio app, which is just maybe, it's just a digital recorder and maybe like a notch above an old cassette player and you set it up somewhere in your room, you find a sweet spot and just play some songs into it and then release it as an EP. So I I fooled with that idea and then I had a little uh, mastering friend of mine, do a little mastering to kind of tweak it, smooth out some of the rough audio edges and I released that, Uh, it was called The Bees and it was kind of cool it was just kind of this lo-fi audio recording and it was kind of a fun thing and then the next thing was to do this next project shiny mad which involved um really writing a lot of songs um not i guess it involved writing songs not on the guitar for the first time for me so most most of these songs were actually not written on the guitar at all they were just written sort of in the studio as i was uh, Flushing out the instrumentation and things like that. And I wanted to see if that could turn into something. And I took it to a guy who does mixing and I said, do you think we could, this is something I could do and release it with sound professional quality. And he goes, oh yeah, because what I was kind of initially producing was the sounds are pretty raw. Um, and uh, they, they definitely need some cleaning up and, and things like that. But um, once I talked to this guy, he didn't end up mixing the project, but he kind of gave me the encouragement to know, hey, you can release this, and it could sound like, I guess, what they call in the industry master quality, mm-hmm. which is like, like uh, you know, it's, it's just something that sounds professional and stacks up to what's out there in terms of just the audio presentation. Um, so it kind of led to that, and um, it took a while for me to get it done, but I finally... <laughs> Uh, got it done and out the door in uh, mid-November.
1: So you you recorded and produced and mixed it yourself basically in your home studio.
2: Well I, I produced it I engineered it um, you know I uh, I did all of that stuff I did not do the mixing though I did hire outside mixers uh, when I do like when I'm doing film stuff or media music I usually mix that myself but For this type of project, I just didn't feel like I had the skills to mix it myself, uh, especially when it comes to vocals. Um, There are guys out there that are so good at mixing vocals and way beyond what I could do, so I hired outside mixers to uh, do that for me.
1: But you recorded everything at your home studio. Yes, Yeah. that's correct. The background vocals and everything.
2: Right, everything was done in my studio, yeah.
1: Now, the song that we started the broadcast off with, Small Museum, is just you and a piano. Is that you playing piano?
2: No, no, I can't take credit for that. That's my, um, my friend, Reed Robbins. He's, uh, he uh, is my old, actually my old guitar teacher from years back, and now he lives in uh, New York. And so I went up to New York where we recorded the piano. Uh, so I guess, yeah, I guess the piano was the only thing I did record at my studio, but uh, we recorded his piano there, and then I did the vocals, back called in my studio.
1: Well, the EP for those folks who have not heard it, and if you haven't, those of you listening, I would recommend that you do. If you're used to Damien Wolf in his former self, when I say former self, his his bar gigs, his winery gigs, his Frederick Coffee Company gigs, you may not initially warm up to it, but trust me, listen to it two or three times, and you will like it just as much as I do. But it is an eclectic mix sound wise with only six songs because it the 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 final cut on the the EP is actually the one we played at the beginning small right. museum which is the most acoustic of the of the uh, the six cuts i'm going right. to finish up the show with a song which i consider to be radio friendly it's called wrap you up and has almost a little bit of a almost just a, a little tiny little bit of what the nice disco kind of feel to it uh, the stuff that I liked, not the stuff that became really big, but this next song is more the sound where you get the digital kind of feel for it, and uh, we 'll play just a, a couple seconds of that so people can hear it. terrific song, and it has almost a little bit of a David Bowie sound in that beginning after the uh, digital oh. piano.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: And it's uh, it's very good, It's it's and each song on the EP, in my humble opinion, is a song for a movie. In other words, either the opening credits or the final credits, not necessarily during the, the movie where you hear a little bit of a song kind of in the background, but I can I can hear and almost visualize. So hopefully you're getting some A&R out of this.
2: <laughs> well, I, I hope somebody out there has connections to uh, Netflix. Uh, if you like it or even if you just feel sorry for me, I'll take it either way. So,
1: <laughs> so how do you make that, that sound after you do the initial vocal it comes in? It almost sounds like an electric piano that's been altered somehow.
2: Um, if I, if it's the one I'm thinking about and... um. By the way, is this that song, just a polite correction if you don't mind, it's, oh, sure. it's called Holes in, Holes in the Moon. I, I think you mentioned Wrap You Up, uh, but that one is called Holes in the Moon. That, that is um, that
1: is correct. Wrap You Up is the song I'm going to play at the end of the show. Right.
2: Um, the, um, I, you know, some things, and I'm sure as a songwriter you know this too, but some things you sort of stumble into organically and then later you kind of associate it with something and there's a, I was kind of interested um, in combining um, the sound of a bassoon with a, uh, a bassoon sample with an oboe, sorry, with an English horn sample, and then a trumpet sample on top of that. And then I really kind of realized later that it kind of reminded me of my grandmother's organ from when I was a kid. She had this organ sitting around. And it was one of those organs you could go in and push a button that said oboe or bassoon and it would kind of create this sort of not great uh, oboe organic or bassoon sound, but it still kind of sounded cool, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it sort of reminded me of that. So it was just a comment. I like to, um, and I hope I'm not geeking out too much, but I do like to experiment with combining sounds to kind of see what the combination of sounds will create another sound. And, um, and uh, holes in the moon, especially as a combination of that, because there are a lot of layers going on and there's uh there's guitar pads mixed in with synths there and things like that to kind of create what was hopefully at least this kind of ambient uh vibe and it, it was the same with those instruments trying to combine something to create a different sound
1: well the way you start holes in the moon with just the vocal with heavy reverb almost echo just pulls the listener right in immediately i mean if you're if someone had this on their stereo at say medium volume and they're going around the their office or their house doing things and that song came on i think they would stop in their tracks and look over to the speakers
2: oh well thank you uh you know it's it's been interesting um you know whenever you release something especially you you referenced this earlier you know people that do know me are you know I know it's some of them, it's kind of been weird to hear this coming from me because it's something totally different than what I've done before. So they might not always respond favorably to it. Some have been able to adopt to it as well. So it's kind of been a mixed bag. But um, that song is, I think, one of the ones that um, seems like for some reason recently a few people have mentioned to me un- unsolicitedly. It just kind of comes up in conversation or whatever that seems to kind of stand out to them. So that's been nice because I think it's probably my favorite uh song right
1: now from that collection well describe a typical day for damien wolf in his apartment in dc and (laughs) let's let's call it one of your work days which when people work from home that can be especially if they're a creative person it could be any day of the week but describe to me and to the the audience what a typical work day is like for damien wolf
2: you know (laughs) It's it's really it's really pretty boring, Todd. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, unless I'm working on something, it's just a, another day. Um, I I really can't um, say it's anything too exciting. You know, when you're working on something for someone else, um, you you tend to move quickly. You have because you have to. You're under a deadline. When you're working on something, at least for myself, I it take, seems to take forever. Like I'm one of these people that. I, I read so many songwriters and I know so many songwriters personally. They're like, yeah, I, I just wrote three songs yesterday. <laughs> and then today I, I just finished another one. It took like an hour, or hour and a half. And they were all really good songs. And I'm like, daggone, man. It takes me a month just to finish one song, you know, uh, if, I, if I'm that lucky most of the time. I'm so, with you. <laughs> it's, it's a, <laughs> a hair pulling, like, you know, uh, OCD experience for me. It's like, I think Billy Joel said it, like, you know, the most favorite thing about, favorite, his favorite thing about writing a song is when it's done, you know? <laughs>
1: well, and, you so. know, yeah, that's, that's true. But if you're working for someone else and you have a, uh, you're trying to come up with, say, a music bed for a TV commercial or something like that, yeah. do, you, do you get up early? Do you get up late? Do you have to have your morning cup of joe what's your day like and do you sit at the computer in your pajamas immediately or do you have a like a regimen to kind of get your mind wrapped around it and then you sit down and 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 create how do you how do you approach that
2: yeah um, i think that whenever i am lucky enough to have and, and it's not it's been a while if i'm being quite honest since i've had to write anything specifically for someone but when i've had those jobs um I don't know if this is good or not, but it becomes, it sort of becomes all consuming for me. It takes a lot of my attention and my focus and um, which means that uh, it's forefront in my mind to get done. It's what I'm thinking about when I go to bed. It's usually what I'm thinking about when I wake up in the morning. And sometimes that's good too, especially if you're stuck on something and um, you're like, I need to flush out an idea. There is something to be said about sleeping on it. And sometimes, you know, the answers will reveal themselves. Um, at least I found that for myself, at least.
1: Now, no so, t- oh, go ahead.
2: No, I was just going to say, so that's that's been fun, and it's fun to do that, but um, yeah, at the same time, when you're writing for someone else, you know, you are at the mercy of what they want, so you have to sort of construct something within the the, the uh, ambience or the preface, uh, I'm sorry, the prefaces of what... Um, what they they are looking for, so it it's not really sky's the limit. It's sort of like here are the limitations, and you hope you sort of meet them. You know.
1: Well, time frame aside, as you mentioned, you, you know, a song for you could take a month or two months or whatever, and that's me is now especially the. But I also, and I hear people say, "Oh yeah, I wrote three songs yesterday," and you're right, they're all good, or say two are good and one is just okay, and I'm thinking. Man, it's been years since I could write two songs in a week, or one song in a week. Never mind three in a day. But right. do you do you find that spending time with your own music, creating and rehashing some of your older songs, is more fun than creating for other people, or is it kind of the same but different?
2: You know, it's it. That's a good question. Um, I mean, it is this it's a different vibe and they both bring their own, um, fulfillment for me. I mean, there's something to be said about when you write something for somebody and it it resonates with them and you're like, okay, right on, I did my job, you know? Um, and that, that res, that final product may be after several revisions, you never know, or it could be right away. But when you finally hit something with that person and it it resonates, that's fun. But then when you're writing for yourself, um, I've been experiencing this a lot lately. I've just been really writing more for my own enjoyment and own fun. Um, Cause it, I think putting this, this EP out really took a lot out of me and it took me a while to kind of realize that, but it really just zapped a lot of energy for me. Uh, and I'm sort of slowly recovering. And I think part of my recovery process has been writing again and just diddling on the guitar and coming up with ideas And that is its own reward in itself and in flushing it out on my own timeline and when I'm ready to do it. So you have a lot more liberty there, of course.
1: Well, new you have mentioned, or at least in your bio, you mentioned being a co-author on Yanni with uh, Keller Williams and then uh, with Lori Kelly, who I've known kind of around. I don't know her personally, but uh, when she and and Cletus would perform at the uh, Monday Night Songwriter Showcase at Brewer's Alley, I'd, I'd get to see them once in a while. The how often do you get the chance, or is it pretty much never anymore to co-write?
2: Um, it's it's very rare. I mean, those were kind of uh, two very special occasions. Um, I I would welcome it a lot more. I really would, um, but um, uh, just those situations haven't presented themselves to me. Um, and, and I guess when I look back on it, like I guess like I was saying. Um, there were. I was just very fortuitous to be involved in those because they're both songs I'm very proud of and that, that I was part of the contribution to those. Um, but co-writing, as I'm sure you know as well, doesn't always work out. But when it does, it really can be a very rewarding experience.
1: Mm-hmm. You know. So. Now, what do you use for? And I know you've. It's either a Santa Cruz or a Collings. I think I've seen you play most recently for guitar.
2: Um, the most recent guitar I'm, I'm playing mainly is a, uh, a, Santa Cruz. Okay. Um, it's based on a, it's a model based on an old pre-war Martin. Um, <laughs> you know, Santa Cruz is a very, very highbrow guitar line. And I think this is probably like one of their cheapest models, <laughs> <at> the <time. laughs> um, you know, which I could, you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to, to afford, but, um, it's, it's one of those guitars that um, when I bought new, it took a while to sort of settle in. So it really didn't become my primary guitar until after several years. And now it's the guitar I play, play pretty much 90% of the time.
1: I'm trying to remember, and I seem to remember for the longest time. Weren't you playing a Takamine for a long time? Or am I incorrect? No.
2: no. Uh, before that, I was playing a Taylor. Okay, uh, that's 80.
1: right. Yep, that's yeah. right.
2: Right, so, Yeah. Yeah, are you still writing, Todd? Are you
1: writing all these days? I I don't write as often. Um, gosh, I don't think I've actually completed a song in, in at least two years, maybe even three. Not for the not wanting to. It's just that um, the gigs that I did get this past year and the year before were more winery, farm brewery, uh, the occasional um, Frederick Coffee Company where cover tunes started creeping back into my life for years, I was only doing a cover tune, one out of 20 songs. And for the past couple of years, yeah. it seems like I do 90% covers and only 10% my songs. And so when I would sit down to, to write my, my brain just wasn't quite in that space. And the, and so I've been a little bit dry as far as writing. And I am very much like you. It takes me a while to, kind of grab a hold of something and be able to complete it and i'm right. not i'm not sure whether that means we're just not studious enough or the fact that we don't plan well and think into the future or whether it's just because that's just the way we write <laughs>
2: yeah yeah i think i think uh, i it makes me think of david cross because i i think i remember reading years ago that he was sort of the same way
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, that he would just it would take him a while to write at least back when I read this article or whatever but um, yeah, it is uh, it always been, but you know, I am I am also reminded too of the story of Leonard Cohen when he wrote Hallelujah if I, memory serves correctly, it took him over a year and he wrote several, several verses lots of lyrics to that song which I don't think all of them were used but it, long story short, it took him over a year to, to complete that song and of course it's one of the you know, one of the huge songs of our time now. But um, it I can take a little solace in knowing that even Leonard Cohen took his time with songs, you know.
1: Well, that is the beauty of some of the periodicals, the Acoustic Guitar Magazine and Acoustic out of England and so forth, when they interview some of the songwriters and they they ask them, you know, how many songs have you written? Of course, if it's someone who is somewhat famous, we think, gosh, they're just so prolific. They've got three albums out. And then when, right. they, when they talk about it, that's pretty much their entire catalog. It just happens to be that, you know, those are the good ones. And we forget that they may have struggled and struggled. We only hear the end product. Right. That's right. That's now, very true. now I do have a question for you. The, as far as your studio, what does your studio, comp- what is it comprised of? What, what are your components and how did you arrive at the ones you have and use?
2: Okay. Um, very, it's, it's a very simple studio, actually. Um, it's just, uh, I have a DAW, which is, uh, for those of you that don't know it, it stands for Digital Audio Workstation, and um, that runs on my, I have an iMac, and it, the DAW I use specifically is called Logic Pro, and um, then with that, I have uh, several external samples, which I use, especially for, well, I use for this album as well, but I use for some of the uh, media stuff, and and it just it's just a, a plethora of sounds uh, that i've collected over the years whether they were synth sounds or high quality orchestral sounds or you know whatever the case may be and then um i have a pretty decent quality um R, it's called an rme it's a ucx inter, uh it's a small interface but it's uh, got two very high-end preamps in it which i recorded all the audio for the cd on um and Honestly enough, the mics I used for the album were, uh, and used in the studio in general are pretty cheap mics. So um, I think there's something to be said about being able to record something, a decent recording uh, with relatively inexpensive equipment. Um, and in this case, had a couple of really high-quality preamps, so that, that helped a lot as well. But um, and then in addition to that, it's just I have a, a bunch of external synthesizers. I have a, an array of guitars and uh and some nice quality monitors and that's
1: pretty much it actually and how much space does it take up
2: uh, <laughs> not as much as you, you'd think but um from my the little space that little apartment that i live in it takes up probably half of my apartment so it's it takes up a lot
1: well my my son had a has an apartment um he rents it out now the um across the road in arlington and you walked in the front door to the apartment and it was a a little love seat sofa on the left, his television on the right. And if you reached your hands side to side, you could almost touch the walls. And then there was a a small bedroom and a little kitchen area with a counter that was probably no longer than 12 feet and probably four feet wide. So I picture your apartment, again, I don't know, is probably similar in size. So yes, I would understand that it might take up about half of the space.
2: Right. Yeah. So it's uh, it's 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 kind of a it's kind of one of the trade-offs you, to being an artist and living in D.C. It's uh, it's very expensive there. It's you know not to not to play the sad, sad card, but it is uh, a trade-off you have to make unless you're a very successful artist, of course, to to live there. So
1: now, do you see yourself moving out of D.C. any time in the near future, or are you to like the city enough that that's where you want to be?
2: You know, that's a really good question. I. I don't know the answer to that, to be quite honest with you. Um, I've been thinking about what's the next step. You know, when you finish a project like this, um, you, you, you and especially with COVID and everything that's been going on, it just takes, at least for me, a lot of self-reflection, probably too much in some ways. And you start second-guessing yourself and your choices and what am I doing and where am I going to. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to stay open about it. Uh, there's really some things i do like about living in dc there are some challenges to it as well um but uh i haven't felt um the presentation of a new place being an option yet so we'll see what happens
1: now your your seat or ep i still want to call it a cd but um i know it's an ep for extended play which doesn't make sense to me because the the little <laughs> plastic disc that has the most songs on it's called a compact disc so why would the one with the fewest be called an extended yeah but anyway that's just (laughs) the way it is right but but that cd is the bottom third is yellow with shiny mad underlined and the top part is basically purple and blue squiggles with white background how did you go about choosing that did you do that yourself did you hire someone
2: No, that's actually, uh, that's actually, uh, the front is a, a, one of my dad's paintings. Oh, and, and, uh, and then the back is, a, a painting that was altered a bit, uh, with, uh, by the graphic designer, uh, my friend James Polisky, who did the graphic design for that. So yeah, but a lot, a lot of the credit that goes to dad.
1: Oh, so your dad is an artist.
2: Well, <laughs> I, Well,
1: we say that loosely. Well, I can see where you got your musical uh, abilities, though. Um, As you mentioned, that they weren't that very good. uh, But as a kid, we don't realize that. But the fact that you grew up around music, especially the way you did, having them sing songs as lullabies is really, really very cool. The um, And that's such what I call simple music. The... And it's not as simple as it sounds and uh, appears to be, but it can instill in many people a career in music and has. It's amazing how much that what I call simple folk pop um, roots music, whatever you want to call it, that people hear as a child pulls them through life into a career in music, whether it's full time or whether it's part time. Not everyone um, chooses to do it full time. Many of us are what I call hobby professionals because we have another source of income. And I always just, I am so in awe of people like yourself who choose to do music from a professional standpoint as a full-time job, because it must be, it's like trying to be a professional actor, You you know, you're, you're, you're only as successful as the job you're doing right now.
2: Right. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. so what do you see for the future for Damien Wolf musically?
2: You know, God, I, that's a good question too. I am, I am not, um, uh, to be honest with you right now, I've been for the last, um, again, this is not to elicit any sort of sympathy, but last few months I've been having some problems with my left ear. So I'm trying to get that straightened out and, um, I, I'm hesit- hesitant to take on too much that involves uh, a lot of audio and a lot of mixing just because of that. Um, so I'm kind of waiting to flesh it out and kind of see where I go from here. So I, I'm not really sure. Um, in the meantime, I'm still going to write songs and I'm probably going to do a live stream concert on from Facebook in the next month uh, in which I'll probably uh implementing the full arsenal of loops and electric guitars and stuff like that that I haven't done in my previous uh, live streams since COVID. So I'm starting to prepare for that right now. So hopefully by sometime in February, I'll I'll be doing like an hour live stream concert or
1: something like that. Well, I noticed uh, and I noticed it when I ordered uh, your EP, but on your site to order a CD, it says it's a simple quote, pay what you want. Unquote, "system. Right. How did you choose to do it that way rather than saying it's $8 or $12 or $15?
2: Um, I think it was just because um I didn't want this project to be about money. Mhm. I wanted to because it, it for people that know me like we discussed before, it is such a it is such a step outside of that comfort zone. So I I didn't want people people feel obligated and if they for those that still listen to if they couldn't afford it i'm totally fine with that so if you can't pay anything i'm still happy to send you a cd um and if you want to pay something you just pay what you feel like you can afford or what's fair i just thought it would be a simpler way to do things and so far it seems to worked out i haven't been so hopefully everybody's been happy with that
1: well i spoke with mark mckay who's a, a songwriter who does uh, Oh, yeah, the great market Yeah, And he kind of splits or did split his time between New York City and Frederick, Maryland until COVID happened. And I think now he pretty much spends most of his time in Frederick, but I could be wrong. But he was talking with me about five years ago, and he, like you, performed periodically at the Frederick Coffee Company. And I remember him saying, you know, Todd, for the longest time, I, would you know, put up my CDs and try to sell them at the gig. And he says, I might sell one maybe two sometimes. He said it was just, it became frustrating. He said, and en route before I left for the gig, and this was at the Frederick Coffee Company and Cafe, evidently before he left the house, he noticed a little basket that was empty. So he grabbed the basket, took a, a cloth napkin, put it in and took a bunch of his CDs, 20 or 25, put them in the basket and took it to the gig with him. And in the middle of his set, he said, you know, I'd love you folks to take some of my music home with you. And I've got a basket here with my CDs. I'm just going to pass it around. He says, I just want you to take my music home. He says, if you want to put a few bucks in there, please do so. But you're not required to do so. I would just like you to have my music. So he passed it around. He said, about a half an hour, 45 minutes later, someone handed him the basket. and It was empty. And, and, (laughs) And when he counted up the money it was more money than if he had sold every CD at $15. Yeah,
2: that's, that's really, that's a great, such a great idea that he had that.
1: So you're doing the pay what you want because now as right. a, as a musician to a musician, I look at it as gosh, someone has labored over this for the longest time. You know, I know they probably did it cause they love to make music, but they also need to pay the bills. So, <laughs> right. you know, if the average CD costs $12, I'm going to give them $12 or 15, whatever. Or if they say pay what you want or $10, I'm paying the 10. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. So hopefully that has worked out for you.
2: Yeah, it's, it's been great. I mean, obviously the other thing is that, you know, nowadays we're at the mercy of uh, streaming. So um, the day of, um, and, and also the fact that a lot of people just don't listen to CDs anymore. So, Fortunately, there have been enough people to still listen to CDs that have have been gracious enough to get one, and then the rest of the people um, are streaming. But you know, as we all know, the, the not so secret thing about streaming is that artists don't make hardly any money from it. It's right. um, it's really a um, it's really unfortunate, but it's uh, also the way the market has driven us in the last several years. So. I'm not sure really there's a there's going to be an out out of it but uh i don't know we'll
1: see what happens well as i've mentioned numerous times during this podcast i think the ep is wonderful and i did have to warm up to it because it was or is such a departure from the damien wolf i was expecting and
2: Well, thanks for giving it a chance Appreciate oh, that. oh
1: it's you know i would have done so even if i hated it to be honest with you because i like you and i want to see you succeed but i must admit I like it more each time I hear each song. I really do. The And I am honest when I say that each time I listen to a specific song off of Shiny Mad, I can picture sitting in front of my big screen TV watching a movie. And I'm thinking, okay, what's the movie? (laughs) And I haven't kind of got there yet, but it's like, you know, when you go to the movie theater or you're playing from Netflix or whatever, and you've got really good sound and it's fairly loud... And the beginning of the movie opens up and there's always music of some sort. And I am constantly amazed, especially at the theater, because they've got it just booming at you from all those surround sound kind of speakers. I'm like, what a great song. Right. You know, and they probably, (laughs) it probably wasn't written for a movie. It's just somebody said, oh, I like that song. That'll fit. But each one of those songs, hopefully you'll get some, somebody calling, you know, knocking on your phone and going, hey, uh, Damien Wolf, this is so-and-so from whomever. And we've got this movie project, and we would like to use your song "Holes in the Moon." Would that be okay with you? <laughs>
2: I, and I would say most certainly. You know, and I just to tell you a quick little funny story. Um, I was so I just recently finished reading Willie Nelson's autobiography. Have you read that, Todd?
1: I haven't, and I will get it because I've been on a little bent lately of reading autobiographies or biographies. It's, yeah.
2: it's and, and I have to be honest with you, I. I'm not someone that's even that familiar with Willie Nelson. I mean, of course, I know him and know some of his music, but wasn't, I, for say, somebody would go out and out of my way to listen to his music, as much as I respect him. And um, But a friend of mine I recommended reading this his autobiography, and I read it, which is just fantastic. And I thought to myself, I was reading it when the album came out, and I said, you know, I could hear him singing Small Museum. So mm-hmm. I thought, you know, why don't Why don't I try to pitch the song to him, which for guys like me who have no representation, no label, the chances of getting my song to Willie Nelson's people to get to him to actually listen to are one in a million. But um, somehow I found an email or something doing some research online and I sent it to his people. And his, uh, I think it's his granddaughter that runs the site, but she actually responded. You know, it was a very nice uh, thank you, but no thank you. We get these kind of requests all the time. Unfortunately, you know, we can't respond to this or whatever. But I thought it was at least sweet and and cool that they responded, you know, and they were really nice about it.
1: Oh, Um, absolutely.
2: Yeah, you know, and it's, um, it's, there was a time years ago where I was knocking down doors of music supervisors and film and, to people directors things like that trying to get my music in front of them um and it's really 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 difficult task Uh, it's not to say that it's not possible but it's just um it's they're getting bombarded by artists all the time and uh to get your music in front of them uh these days is a really difficult thing so but please hold that vision because maybe it'll come true. Who knows?
1: I will. And I, and and I keep my fingers crossed for you. And I'm, it sounds like you're having a safe drive. Hopefully it continues to be so wherever you end up in Ohio.
2: (laughs) Thank you, Todd.
1: And I I so appreciate the fact that you've joined me. The, um, like I mentioned, and I've said (laughs) this to just about everybody that I've interviewed on the podcast is, Because I know most people through showcases or open mics or maybe booking them at a venue, I rarely get the chance to speak with anyone who I enjoy from a music standpoint for longer than two or three minutes. That's the extent of my conversations with them. So this has been so much fun for me, and I so appreciate the fact that you joined me and the fact that you did while you're driving what fun.
2: (laughs) No, thank you. And um, just one quick question, if I may. Yes. Um, What are you foreseeing for live music this summer in the Frederick area? I think it's,
1: I think this summer, at least be going into it, unless there is a huge increase in vaccinations. And I would love to say that's going to be the case. I think it's probably, I mean, I'm, I'm over 65, I'm 70 years old. So I'm in that second tier well, I shouldn't say second tier. I'm in the second tier of consumers, let's say, because I'm not one of the right. first responders. The And I figured the earliest I'll probably be able to get vaccinated would be April, maybe May. So I think okay. going into the season, which would be, when I say season, it's outdoor music because I don't think the indoor venues, even when things lighten up, I don't think they'll open up immediately. I think they'll kind of play wait and see so it's the wineries the farm breweries the outdoor uh performances i think those will pick up pretty much the way they left off in the fall um, being scheduled and i know you play pretty regularly at or have for the past couple years at catoctin breeze winery in in thermont maryland which is a wonderful winery and the owner is just super super nice the so i see those as being pretty much back to normal through the warm months. My hope is that by July or maybe even June, we will start to see some of the indoor venues opened up to, to music. Um, That's a hope more than uh, I think a reality, but let's keep our fingers crossed.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And again, um, uh, two things. Thank you for all you've done for the live music scene and for the times you've included me with that. And, thanks for the opportunity to talk about my my new album i really appreciate it so it's just been a totally a a grassroots word of mouth thing. so i appreciate the opportunity to get out there
1: well hopefully the people who are listening to the podcast will like the music enough to um, either download or get the physical cd from you um he's got the information on his website damienwolf.com it says to order a cd and you've got paypal and venmo and you can either get it on Pandora or Amazon Music. I, I, I received mine through Amazon Music because I needed it quickly. <laughs> sure. The, um, sure. But, but thank you so much. I wish you the very best and have a safe drive. And hopefully, hopefully we will be able to see each other in person sometime in the next six or eight months and have a, a, a good sit down over a cup of coffee or maybe a glass of beer or something like that or a glass of wine conversation.
2: I would love the opportunity. And uh, also, to, I mean, I don't do my podcast on any sort of regular basis, but when it's up and running again, and uh, when you you feel safe coming and seeing me in person, uh, I'd like to have you on. So please keep that in mind, if you will.
1: Oh, that'd be so much fun. And what I hope to do, and I did several of them over the summer months, was I did some of the podcasts live. When I had outdoor space where we could spend you know six feet across uh or at least and then have some wind blowing around so it blew things around that was a whole lot of fun as well and what i did just one time and i've got some things i can do with my mixer where i can actually have someone be able to perform live on the on the podcast nice. so that would be kind of fun to sit there maybe trade songs back and forth too that'd be a whole lot of sure. fun
2: Definitely.
1: well listen you have a wonderful rest of your day, and. uh Hey, it's a new year. Weather will be warmer. Spring's only two months away.
2: I am so, Todd. And again, thank you so much. Hope you have a great, great day, too.
1: Thanks, Damien. And drive safe. Okay. Bye-bye. Right, bye Well, that was Damien Wolf. So much fun to chat with him. As I mentioned, I don't think I've had that long of a conversation with him ever. And so much fun to hear how he transitioned from what I would call traditional singer-songwriter type of music to his... His EP, which, as I mentioned to him, it it took me a while, two or three, four listens to to kind of warm up to it because it is such a departure from his normal, normal sound. But uh, the the one I like the best, he likes Holes in the Moon the best. Um, Holes in the Moon and Small Museum are my, they're kind of tied for second place. This song called Wrap You Up is my favorite.
0: Tripping over miles, spun rings around the world. Saddle to the solitude, sorting through the storm. Somewhere along, then came along a better road to wed. On the way soon, and soon to leave my head. What you do and see, want you arm and arm just to do and see with me. Horizons, pretty sun, strawberries, and sing along from everything.
1: The Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series is produced by Todd C. Walker at the Wispy Mop Music Studio in Frederick, Maryland. All the music on the podcast is played by permission from the artist. If you're enjoying the series, please feel free to share the link, wispymopmusic.podbean.com, or you can find the show on either iTunes or Apple Podcasts.
0: That rush again, sort of like a first love. What a treat it'd be if you just let me spoon with you tonight. Curl up in a ball, vertical, the middle of your bed. No better kind of anything will I have ever had. I'll wrap you up and take you home. I'll wrap you up. I want you all for my own In a big box, shiny paper and a bow. I'll wrap you up and take you. Let me wrap you up and take you home. I'll wrap you up once you all from my own in a box of shiny paper and a big fat bow. I'll wrap.